This is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Join me today while I discuss apples, Asian pears, and European pears, and how to select the best ones. Today on Desert Horticulture. Learn more about Desert Horticulture by signing up for my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, Extreme Horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on Eventbrite if you're in the Las Vegas area. That's Bob Morris on Eventbrite. As you might expect, apples may not be the best selection for the desert. And just because you're selecting an apple that did well in Pennsylvania or in North Carolina doesn't mean it will do well here in the hot, dry desert. So you're going to have to be careful when you're selecting apples. Uh, don't to rely on your childhood taste buds for recommendations. Instead, uh, be a little bit more selective. And These are some of my top choices for you. Uh, whenever you're growing apples in the desert uh, and you're putting them in a backyard, you want them to be smaller. Go for a, a, a rootstock that will give them a little bit of, a, of an advantage in that way. In other words, a dwarfing rootstock. And um, even though it's not the most extreme dwarfing, M111 is a good rootstock for the desert. And you can keep those apple trees uh, below 10 feet tall with some careful pruning and the use of a semi-dwarfing rootstock like M111. I found M111 to be a good rootstock for the desert. It handles the heat. It handles the extremes of soils and temperatures. So um, go ahead and, and look for that. Some nurseries may not sell that rootstock as M111. They may call it a semi-dwarfing rootstock. I don't know what to tell you. And uh, when it comes to some of the newer rootstocks that are released, I don't know their tolerance in the desert. So whenever possible, look for that M111 rootstock. My top choices in apple selection, an early one for you, which would be uh, productive in about June in the eastern Mojave Desert, would be Dorset Golden. It has uh, yellow fruit. It's yellow-fruited, much like Anna. Anna is uh, really right there behind it. I, I would say between the two, there's not a whole lot of difference, except I like the flavor of Dorset Golden a little bit better than Anna. Anna, when you leave it, uh, will get a little bit of a red blush as it matures on the tree. It doesn't stay totally yellow. And the Dorset Golden uh, will maintain a yellow fruit for you. The second uh, variety of apple is a really late apple. And I usually harvest it in the in the Mojave Desert around the middle of November and even let it hang on the tree until early December uh, until it really starts to color up. It'll get a really nice apple color, that reddish color that you're used to seeing. The fruit aren't terribly large. Uh, it does require some thinning. Like all fruit trees, it requires thinning. But uh, again, look for it on an M111 rootstock, and that's Pink Lady. Uh, sometimes it's called Crips Pink. That's an Australian release. Uh, it really does well. It's probably one of the best fruit in the entire university orchard that I've tested over the years, and I've got 
hundreds of them growing in Las Vegas uh, now, selections of them. Uh, one that is an offshoot from the same breeding program. I don't, the, <clears throat> the uh, whether, how good it is, is still yet to be seen. So I'm not recommending it yet, but I'm keeping my eye on another one because it comes from that same breeding program. It's a variety called Sundowner. It's already released in the trade. It's already being released, but it's going to ripen even later than Pink Lady Apple. Uh, so it's going to be in that December time frame. If you've got some early freezing temperatures in that late November, early December, in the Las Vegas Valley, we can usually rely on freezing temperatures not to be a problem until about mid-December, which is about when uh, these would be coming off of the tree. In other locations, though, I'd be really careful about the use of uh, of sundowner variety. But uh, anyway, it's usually going to be safe by middle November if you don't have any hard freezing temperatures then to go with the pink lady, the Crips Pink. And it's red over uh, green fruit is the coloration on it. But it's got a sweet, sour um, taste I'm trying to think of another apple variety that's similar to that. I can't think of one offhand. But it does have a really nice crisp apple texture and a, a, a very good sweet over tart flavor. If you don't like that sweet over tart flavor, then pick something different. Uh, maybe something you could stay with uh, some of the Fuji. Fuji has done okay. It's honorably mentioned there. Gordon did surprise, surprisingly well in our taste, in our trials. And uh, Gordon is a good apple. It doesn't produce a lot. I have some questions about how it produces, whether it's a spur type or whether it produces laterally or a combination of both on it. Another apple that I like a lot, I and I didn't mention it so far, but I like as a replacement for Granny Smith. It's a green apple, and it's mid-season, and it's one of the few mid-season apples that I'd recommend. It comes on uh, when it's still hot, but it seems to handle the heat quite well. It's one called Mutsu, M-U-T-S-U, also called Crispin, uh, a mid-season apple. Uh, it's a green apple, you know, much like Granny Smith. But I think it has a better flavor profile. I think a mistake that's done with Granny Smith commercially is that it's picked a little bit too early. It's picked when those sugar levels are adequate, but it's not allowed to ripen much further than that on the tree. So I, th I think that may be a problem commercially in the harvest, identifying when to harvest. They're harvesting for sugars rather than harvesting for flavor in that particular. Because once you harvest an apple, you pretty much get what you harvest. It doesn't go ahead and ripen like a pear does, like a European pear does, uh, like a Bartlett pear, for instance, that will go ahead and ripen once it's removed from the tree. The apples don't do that. The apples, pretty much, uh, you get what you get. Another one that is uh, receives honorable mention is the White Winter Permane. It's a mid to late season apple. Under review at that time, this is back in 2009, I was looking at a cane. I don't have anything to report on that. Arkansas Black, Ashmead Kernel, uh, Babe, which is a genetic dwarf. Um, 
Gala, uh, Granny Smith's, Red Fuji, Scarlet Sentinel Columnar Type, and Yellow Newton Pippin. And of those, uh, the Granny Smith I'm not terribly impressed with in our desert climate. The Red Fuji is a good one, Gala. And outside of that, I would be a little skeptical. So on an early season, go ahead and look at that Dorset Golden. Uh, a late season, uh, look at the Pink Lady very, very carefully. Always select it on a semi-dwarfing, and if you can find out an M111 rootstock uh, when you're selecting it. Generally speaking, when you're selecting apples, try not to pick apples that are maturing or it's ready to pick when it's really, really still hot out. Pick it in the later, either earlier in the summer or pick something that's later in the fall when temperatures are starting to cool off uh, in the later in the season. But those are my recommendations on apples. Asian pear, I have tried Chojuro, Hosui, Kikusui, Shinko, Shinseki, Suli, 20th Century, and Yali. <clears throat> In the publication, that's available, and I list them as under review. Of those, Hosui is always a good, solid choice. The one variety that I would caution you about is 20th Century. It produces a lot of fruit, and it just requires so much hand thinning when it comes down to thinning and removing fruit so that the remaining fruit stay larger. It just requires so much. It's To me, the fla there's nothing wrong with the flavor at all. Flavor's good. Production is excellent. It's just a lot of fruit being produced and very difficult to thin. So if you want a lot of work and you want good flavor, 20th century is fine. The other one, the other two on that list, the Yali and Suli, that's Suli is T-S-U-L-I. The Yali are Asian pears, Chinese pears, but they require each other as pollinators. As poll In other words, to supply pollen to the tree so that you get uh, good fruit production. So unless you're willing to plant both of them, I wouldn't recommend those as uh, Asian pears for you to try. However, so if you look at the Hosui, Chojuro, Kukusui, Shinko, Shinseki, all of them are good producers. All of them will require a, a great deal of hand thinning and care when you grow them if you want to get the larger sized fruit like you see in available in Japan and some of the Asian countries that are for that are fairly high priced. They develop a good crisp uh, flesh, good flavor, and I would say that they rival they rival what you can buy in uh, the Far East. So don't be afraid to use the Asian pears. Just stay away from, be careful. I won't say stay away from, but be careful of 20th century and Yali and Suli in your selections. Uh, as far as the recommended rootstock, rootstock is OHXF333. OHXF but others have performed well on it. I don't really have a solid recommendation on rootstocks, but the one 
the, the, I've tried a couple different kinds, but uh, all of them seem to work just fine. But if I were to pick one out of the group, I would stay with the OHX F333 rootstock uh, for it. European pears are interesting in our climate. European pears, what I mean by that, different than Asian pears, and that's how I've I've delineated the difference between the two. The European pears are those pears that were probably most used to seeing in the marketplace. Those are things like Bartlett's, the dessert pears, Bosque, Comis, Dianjou. So of those, I'm going to caution you on this. First of all, on the rootstock, it really doesn't seem to make a whole heck of a lot of difference. Any of the rootstocks for European pear available seem to work just fine. My top choice on that is one that seems to get a little bit of confusion when people have selected it in the past, and that's the variety called kefir. The reason I recommend it is because it's fire blight resistant, and it's one of the worst worst diseases that you can get on apples, pears, quince, for instance. And it's a bacterial disease, very difficult, and I have to get very aggressive when I see it in the orchard and sanitize my pruning equipment consist constantly. And once it's been removed, once the only way to, to really control it is through pruning. So you aggressively uh, prune it and then when you're done getting that stuff, the the clippings, the prunings from the trees, put it in a plastic bag, seal it, and get it off of the property. It's that bad. It's it's that bad. If you leave anything behind, it's going to spread, and it will kill, kill fruit trees, those trees I mentioned. So kefir was, came into existence because it was resistance to fire blight and we many 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 decades ago we had a problem with fire blight in the United States Europe and kefir came surfaced as a uh, as an alternative to some of the other pears that were being grown it's not a good alternative if you're looking for a dessert pear like a bartlett for instance that's got you're eating it because it's tastes good I'm not saying the kefir doesn't taste good. It's just different. And the closest I would I would say the closest in in texture and flavor is I would say imagine if you've never had one, imagine eating a jicama, only it's got some slight pear flavoring to it. Now kefir is a great cooking pear. It makes great sauce. It's great for cooking, for putting into stuffing. And that's about when it matures. It matures right around Thanksgiving time. That's when it's the best to pick. And what I'll usually do with um, kefir is I'll smell it. I'll go up to the pear. I'll put my nose right in that old little calyx at the bottom of the fruit, and I'll smell it. And if I've got a strong sniff of of that pear smelling, I'll go ahead and start harvesting. Start harvesting. Uh, it isn't like... like uh, uh, like Bartlett or Red Bartlett, where you have to pick them earlier and let them um, ripen off of the tree to get rid of some of those stone cells that are present in the fruit. Otherwise, you end up with kind of a gritty texture 
in the fruit if you let them ripen on the tree. So you'll want to, the time to pick them, red Bartlett is, is a really great choice because it's a beautiful looking fruit and it tastes just as good as the common Bartlett. Uh, so it's a great choice for the desert climate, but on that, you've just got to harvest them at the right time. And the the common Bartlett, the one that's green and then turns yellowish green, is the easier of the two to know when to harvest. Because you can see a color change, a background color change in the fruit skin of the fruit itself. And when it turns from that green color, like the leaves, and starts to turn a yellowish green, is the time to start harvesting uh, it. The other thing that I want to mention on on pears is oftentimes you'll see what I call dimples in the fruit. Nothing to be overly concerned about. Um, but these little dimples, I think, are from feeding by some of these bugs like stink bugs that get on the fruit when it's young and they stick their long needle into the fruit and uh, they kill that area where the needle, their mouth part, the needle-like mouth part goes into the fruit. That area is killed, and so it doesn't grow anymore, and that is kind of restricted. And the outside surrounding that area continues to grow, and it results in kind of a dimple. That's what I think is going on. The other thing that I've seen in some, I've seen it in <clears throat> in some apples and pears, and in apples, uh, it's called bitter pit. And in pears, it's called corky spot. It's the same disorder. It's a calcium deficiency. And you'd think with our desert soils, we're high in calcium. There wouldn't be a problem Problem with that. But where I picked up on it was in eastern Washington, where they were seeing quite a bit of it. We get it fairly dramatically. And <clears throat> that apple I mentioned earlier uh, on it, the Mutsu apple, will get it. And some of the pears will get it as well. What you'll see is the fruit as it's starting to ripen still maintains uh, some green spots as the rest of the fruit begins to ripen. And if you take a knife and you cut away on those green spots, you'll see a, a dark portion of the skin right underneath it. That's corky spot or bitter pit, depending if it's an apple or pear. And the way to control that is really through spraying the the fruit, the leaves and the fruit of the tree with a, uh, a calcium, like a calcium chloride solution about five times a year as the fruit is starting to enlarge. And what I think happens in the soil is these trees are, it doesn't really start until the tree gets about 10 plus years old, but I think it starts to mine so much of that calcium that lime from the soil and it's not terribly lime is not terribly soluble so it goes ahead and as the fruit is developing it has this real high demand for calcium so it's starting to suck the water with calcium in it but it's withdrawing water without enough calcium to support it i think and so what we're seeing is a lack of calcium then it releases a little bit during the winter time because lime itself the calcium carbonate in the soil doesn't uh, solubilize as quickly as some other forms of calcium might, like gypsum, for instance, which is much more soluble in water. So I think we're getting these calcium deficiencies in some of our sandier soils, especially the, the things like our sandy loams, if you've got that kind of a soil in it. But anyway, watch, keep your eye out for that. 
as well. And, and if you do start to develop uh, the corky spot or bitter pit in the fruit, you may have to rely on some foliar applications, spraying the leaves with and fruit with calcium chloride about five times a year as the fruit is expanding. But uh, my top choice is that kefir. Just because it's so productive, it produces cannonball-sized fruit. It's like a no-stopper, but you just got to be aware. It's not a dessert pear. It's not a Bartlett. Even though it's a European pear, it's not a Bartlett pear. It's more of a salad pear, cooking pear, and it does great in those applications. A wonderful texture and a wonderful light pear flavor uh, if you're looking at that. Honorable mention, Bartlett, Monterey and red bartlet, all are good European pears that you could plant. That red bartlet, like I mentioned, because of the red coloration of the fruit, is really a pretty fruit to have growing in a in a landscape, in a yard. But the bartlet really produces some very high-quality fruit in our desert climate. Don't be afraid to... Remember, you're going to have to thin these. You have to thin it to get decent-sized fruit. And under review, Bosque, California, Comis, D'Anjou, and Hood. The variety Hood European pear I removed fairly early because it seemed to get fire blight so easily that I just went ahead and, and had it removed. The D'Anjou, Comis, Bosque, they don't produce a lot of fruit, and that's probably my major complaint. Maybe it's a humidity issue. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't seem to produce a lot of fruit. Uh, consistently year after year. California pear, uh, it's, I don't know. I, I The jury is still out on that one. Don't really know enough about it. But that gets you started, and hopefully picking a good fruit variety and the apples, European pears, and Asian pears for your backyard. This is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Desert Horticulture.